We got a new trailer starring Will Smith. And it seems like, again, technology sort of caught up with the times. There's just like all these generations of great actors that it's like, okay, well, could Clint Eastwood play Dirty Harry again? Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman, you de-age them 30 years and they're only 75 years old. Clint Eastwood telling himself to get off his lawn. <laughs> Welcome to WRTS. We run this station, the Athlete Run Podcast channel presented by Uninterrupted. I'm former NFL player turned TV producer Spencer Pacinger, and I'm here with my good friend Dane Mort. What's up? Not best today. That's cool. You're best? I'll settle. <laughs> no, I'm good. What's up, man? We also have not a new guest, uh, a, f- a frequent, uh, what would you like to say? What, friend of the show? A friend of the show, we would show. say? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uninterrupted uh, social media producer or social producer. Podcast producer. Podcast producer. All time you great. You confuse me with Matt. Matt's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's always, Matt's not on my left now today. I'm a social producer, but I'm not the social producer. <laughs> got it, got John it. John Fontanelli is joining us. Did I say it right? Did, yes, did I say last John name Fontanelli. right? At John Fontanelli underscore on Twitter. <laughs> Let me get Whoa. those follows up. Underscore. La- <laughs> last time you guys heard his voice, we were doing our draft, yes. correct? We were doing our uh, best, uh, picking our best, a snake draft of picking our best starting five uh, based on fictional movie characters. With uh, Zach basketball Harper basketball from uh, Talk Hoops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we got pretty heated. He, I, I mm-hmm. believe you might have taken one of my picks, but it's all right. I, I <laughs> but that's what we do here. We do here, this is this is film study where we preview and review the blockbusters that are out right now, the blockbusters that are coming out mm-hmm. in true to form, playing football. That's what we did. We had to review film to get a beat on our opponent. This is what we're doing here today on the show. And every episode that will be on from past and the future, this is what we do is review and preview the blockbusters coming out. Mm-hmm. So let's dive right into it. Yeah. Well, today I know we got to get into, we're going to get into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. We're review that. Both uh, saw it. Did you see it? I saw it. Yeah. yeah it's, we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah. <laughs> Hot Takes is the segment where we react to three trending topics in the film world. Um, as Matt puts it, with our fiery opinions. Fiery. Fiery, um, Matt. Fuego. Flame emoji. <laughs> Off the bat, this morning, um, Scorsese drops a new trailer for his movie, The Irishman. So, Spencer. Take one. Yo, Joe Pesci is going to continue to beat the shit out of people in film. I don't know how. He's the, like five foot two, no, it's, maybe negative five foot two. <laughs> it's it's going to be all those scenes where like you literally see it in the trailer of like people flying out a window. So, you know, it's not he's technically not throwing somebody out the window. Not like how he was doing it in casino and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I remember and love the old Joe Pesci of just this tiny fucking dwarf of a man mm-hmm. just beating the shit out of people. Yeah. Like he's had iconic scenes of cursing people out, mm-hmm. yeah. motherfucking people, mm-hmm. stomping people out, beating somebody <laughs> over the fucking head with a cell I mean with a I said cell phone. There was no cell phones back in the eighties. <laughs> the big one, the, the big cell phones though probably would have but Joe Pesci, you have Robert De Niro, you have Al Pacino. These are like the fucking Mount Rushmore of mob of mob movies. Mm-hmm. And we have them here in The Irishman. So this mm-hmm. is true to form. I am with it. And yes, I'm excited. But here's the thing. I'm also like, in a way, I feel like I've just seen this before. And I hate saying that about a Scorsese film because you know it's going to be, you know, it's, it's a Scorsese film. Yeah. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, like <laughs> dim lighting in like an Italian restaurant, suits. like talking about a deal, big suits. De Niro's way too far back in his chair, <laughs> like uh, all that going on, you know. So he always yeah. is so far back in his chair. He's always. <laughs> but uh, look. You know, the, the plot is centered around a mob hitman recalls his possible involvement mm-hmm. with the slang of Jimmy Hoffa. Yes. So that's essentially what the story is. But you have you have all these fucking heavyweights that we've known have been staples in Hollywood for legit decades, decades. all coming together again to kind of this may be the last film they're all together again before. Let's face it, like these guys are getting up there. Like, yes, healthcare is is better nowadays, but mm-hmm. you can't outrun time. So this might be the last chance we see these heavyweights share the screen. And together I will with say Martin Scorsese. And I will say anytime De Niro and Pacino are together, you know that's pretty pretty incredible with you know just the godfather series and heat yeah uh you know a lot of the things they've done i'm excited for and the, and the cool thing is that scorsese said this was a passion project for him now i don't know what that means for him considering all the things he's done have been so specific mm-hmm. uh to what he wants to do but um that that that's interesting to me and the fact that it's 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 a limited theatrical release and it's going to stream in, on netflix yes so mm-hmm. like we've talked as of late netflix is trying to make a lot of these pushes with these big names mm-hmm. and they're doing these things whether it's the rock whether it's jason momoa 
and now it's Martin Scorsese. So even mm-hmm. with these filmmakers, it's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, the distribution model is changing. Yeah. It's so interesting to think like this is almost like Goodfellas like 30 years later, yeah. essentially. To me, being a gangster was better than being president of the United States. Never ran on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. Yeah. And how, you know, Goodfellas came out during that era of like peak cinema and mm-hmm. home video and just it's Scorsese's there, Pesci and De Niro are there, but the world around cinema has completely changed. Yes, yeah. right? So it's like a lot of the old guard, but trying to fit into like this new mold of what Hollywood is in 2019. Well, much like what Dane was saying, how you feel like you've seen this movie before. Yes, we've seen this movie before, but we haven't seen this movie lately. Mm-hmm. Like Mm-mm. right now we're in the realm of Marvel Universe. Everything Reboots is big, remakes. everything is rebooted, everything is, it's, I mean, we're centered around the Marvel Universe. So the fact that we get something that's rooted, like these guys, they're gonna be wearing the crispest suits for fucking I two know. hours, hopefully. I know. Like, I don't know if Dope people suits. realize this, but De Niro in Casino is a style icon. Like, he had suits for fucking days mm-hmm. in that movie. And that's something that when I used to watch that movie, be like, that's a clean suit. No. That, that's a clean tie. That's a clean <laughs> apparel. Like, you took cues from it, so these old motherfuckers are probably gonna still be clean as shit. I, but in, mm-hmm. in in talking about looking at this film, like I'm looking at De Niro like, bro, you're like 80 years old. There's no way you look this way in real life. Like they no. fucking de-aged you. They no. had, I don't know if makeup is getting better or technology is getting better, probably both. Plastic mm-hmm. surgery. But like you're, you look <laughs> like you're like a crisp, like 75 right now and it's just not there. There's not many wrinkles. <laughs> He's, no. he's aging, reverse it's, aging. They're using that de-aging tech in any way they can, man, in a lot of these films. Just to shave a couple years, though. It's not so drastic yeah. as, as some other just movies. Just a couple years. Yeah. I mean, about. I'm 32. If I could get to... Tw- Actually, I don't know. Yeah, you get like, back down to like 26? Yeah, just yeah. For, yeah. You're not taking De Niro down to like 45. Yeah. It was like, oh. no, we're just going to take a, like 10 years off for you to get you into like the late 60s, maybe. Because like the <laughs> yep. fact that like an 80-year-old would be beating the shit out of somebody, like, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, whoever he's beating the shit out of, mm-hmm. no. Like, I'm I'm more pissed at you getting the shit beat out of you that right. from an 80-year-old than you just like knocking his fucking dentures I call out. that the Taken effect. <laughs> As the Taken movies go along, it's less believable that Liam Neeson was able to beat these people up. Like, it's like I don't she- know if this 82-year-old De Niro, but like, maybe meet the parents De Niro might be able to pull it I, off. Stop fighting him. Uh, just shoot him. I love just the, shoot him with a bullet. Uh, not, not to get all this, but I love the Deadpool quote about Taken where he's talking to his wife and he goes, had a Liam Neeson nightmare. He dreamt I kidnapped his daughter. He just wasn't having it. He made three of those movies. At some point you have to wonder if he's just a bad parent. <laughs> <laughs> and I always, that was my favorite quote of that film. Our next hot take is just the idea of Gemini Man. We got a new yeah. trailer starring Will Smith. It's an mm-hmm. angry film that's been in production for somewhat the past like, 20 years. It's been apparently. in development and, for a while. And it seems like, again, technology sort of caught up with the times. Mm-hmm. So, Dane, take two. These Instagram filters are getting crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, Will, the, the old age app, I swear if I see one more, I'm going to lose it. But uh, Government conspiracy. Totally, totally. Russian uh, government conspiracy. Russian government conspiracy. International conspiracy. Listen, um, I, I woke up and I saw like five fucking people doing this age app. Like I didn't mm-hmm. see it one day and all of a sudden everybody was doing it. Yeah. Said, no, thank you. Something's up with this. This is fucking data mining right now. This is Cambridge Analytica like, <laughs> incognito just trying to see what I look like in... 40 years, so when I try to like buck the system and get off the grid, they're like, nope, we can see you on that ATM camera. Like, I know it's you, Spencer mm-hmm. Pacing. You're like, fuck you guys. They're not going to find this good. podcast, though. They're just no, going to know. I, it I haven't under, even looked into Facebook that, pixel. man. Um, <laughs> but no. that, so, so that, uh, that begs the question is, in this movie, Gemini Man, Will Smith is playing the older version and the younger version of himself. Yes. And I think that's such a cool concept and just a testament of where technology is taking us because now you can get these iconic actors to potentially play younger versions of themselves. Yeah. So we, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about the de-aging in Irishman. We're talking mm-hmm. about Will Smith playing a young, unseasoned version of himself yeah. in a movie. Like, what other actors out there would you like to see take on a role of a Gemini man playing the older, 
or a current and or younger version of themselves, much like Will Smith and Gemini Man. That's a great question because so many, I feel like great actors have kind of aged out of a lot of the roles that we're used to seeing them yeah. in, especially black actors, Will Smith and yes. Denzel Washington. We don't yes. have that young crop of black actors. Yeah. And you thought like, all right, well, that's good. They're going to come along eventually. But yeah. now with this technology, it's like, or maybe we can just have Morgan Freeman in every movie yeah. for the next 50 years and we know we don't need this new crop. So in some ways it's kind of cool. In other ways it's kind of scary, but you say- you know, what they're doing with Robert De Niro. And yeah. there's just like all these generations of great actors that it's like, okay, well, could Clint Eastwood play Dirty Harry again? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. how far back are we willing to go with it? Well, like, you think of the idea of Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman, you de-age them 30 years and they're only 75 years old. Clint, Clint, <laughs> Clint, Clint Eastwood telling himself to get off his lawn. <laughs> get off my lawn. One thing I appreciate that, and personally, I would like to see the youthful Denzel go up against like the equalizer slash uh, a man apart Denzel. Yeah. Cause like a lot of people don't realize Denzel was an icon in the nineties. Like I remember my mom and my aunts being like, Oh, Denzel, like mm-hmm. come through. Yeah. So to, to have, <laughs> I'm telling you, like he was that it's like dude. like the male Halle Berry, basically he, like universally. Uh, it was like, it was like if we, the male equivalent to that right now is how women look at Michael B. Jordan. Yep. Times that by fucking, a hundred because Michael B. Jordan is so accessible right now on social media. You can see a picture whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Back then, you just had word of mouth. You had you saw Denzel on premieres and in fucking the Inquirer magazine where he's they allege that he's like dealing with aliens or some shit. Oh but, yeah, the National like, Enquirer. I was like, wait a minute. Like the mystique <laughs> around Denzel back in like the the early to mid nineties was like this mm-hmm. guy could do it all. He had the acting chops. He had the fucking physique. He had the smile. He was electric. So I would like to see like, like Ricochet Denzel or like make devil in a blue dress, young Denzel go up against an equalizer or even a training day Denzel. I would, that would be good. I thought of Denzel, but you know who I'm going for. And that's, I want to see a young Harrison Ford. <laughs> Go up again, dude. Yeah, he was yeah. such a movie star. I said it a million times, and like Harrison Ford and Blade Runner. Replicants are like any other machine. They're either a benefit or a hazard. They're a benefit. It's not my problem. Oh my God! Yeah. We, again, even Harrison Ford in Air Force One was like twenty years ago, mm-hmm. but um, before he got that weird earring. But um, <laughs> anything Harrison Ford, like mm-hmm. a young Han Solo or something like that, um, that kid did fine. It's but, interesting because in. In the movie you guys brought up earlier, the um, the Godfather. Yes. Yeah. So part of what they did there was they took Brando, and he was young. Right. Brando was played yep. by uh, Robert De Niro in The yep. Godfather too. So you wonder if this technology existed in the '60s, would we even get that De Niro performance? Are people going to fall back on this? I mean, yeah. It almost seems yeah. like that movie Looper came around a couple of years too early because it, it could have got young Bruce Willis. Looper, listen, was, yeah, playing Bruce Willis. That's a good movie. It's a great movie. That's a really good movie that mm-hmm. didn't get the props that it deserved. Because but part part of the problem is. Joseph Gordon-Levitt doesn't really look like Bruce Willis, and they tried. They tried stuff. to do they like tried. Tried to they like, did eye stuff. It was like eyes and yeah. like top lip, and mm-hmm. I actually didn't really, I didn't really know that was Jason Gordon-Levitt until like midway through the movie. I'm like, this, I've seen this guy before. I know mm-hmm. it's it's stupid me in the middle of a theater, like aha moment. <laughs> but I was trying to figure out who this kid was it and didn't why really they make look him like look him so either. much like him. Mm-hmm. But the technology in that movie was essentially like you can, you know, technically one day have to kill your future self Mm -hmm. to get the money that, you know, you can live your life with. Mm -hmm. Great concept. It just didn't get, you know, the rave reviews like I expected it to. But whenever that movie's on TV, I sit down and watch it because it's fucking legit. You know what's going to happen? You've done all this already as me? I don't want to talk about time travel shit. Because if we start talking about it, then we're going to be here all day talking about it, making diagrams with straws. Would it have been better with young Bruce Willis, played by Bruce Willis? Maybe. Mm. Because here's the thing. Bruce Willis takes care of himself. Like, he yeah, realized, I've, I've noticed this with actors. When actors start to get old, they just mm-hmm. cut all their facial hair off. Like, Samuel L. Jackson has been fucking skinned, no hair on his head for like the past 20 years. Because he's like, hey, I can just play the old guy for the next 50 years of my life and kind of look the same. Right. It's like a life hack. It's a, it's a fucking skin hack, apparently. Yeah, it's That's funny. interesting. Samuel Bruce Jackson Willis does the same shit. Samuel L. Jackson's another good one who could play young Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. And you get like, um, I mean, we just saw him. Right de- we just saw him de-aged in Captain Marvel. Yeah, you know. Right, right, so right. I mean, look, they're gonna keep doing this shit. <laughs> uh, but it's also a unique. It's an excuse to tell different stories, like mm-hmm, in a different right. capacity. You know what I mean? Like you, you can do things now, tech in technolo- technologically that we couldn't, and that's affecting storytelling. And I think that's what's mm-hmm. exciting about it. Um, 
And the idea that Ang Lee's taking on Gemini Man visually as a director, that'll be something that I think people will be really impressed with. Well, real quick, I know um, we're kind of going a little long with yeah, this yeah, one, yeah. but I was reading up on how Will Smith prepared for this role, and I think we talked about it a little bit before in a in a prior episode, but you know, he's doing the acting of young Will Smith. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are liking this too. This is just like Fresh Prince Will Smith versus I Am Legend Will Smith. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that actually makes them like it even more. But what he said was he had to, when he was, when he was trying to figure out how to dive into this youthful role, he had to try his hardest to forget the past 20 years of his acting experience. Yeah. So oh. when he is playing that character, he's consciously trying to not bring in you know, the Independence Day, the the Men in Black, uh, the Bad Boys, the shit that he's learned in acting mm -hmm. and trying to give this youthful Will Smith character like f like fish out of the water, like I'm young, I'm new to this versus seasoned Will Smith who has all of that shit tied up into him. So yeah. Will Smith is somebody that can commit himself to doing something like that. So when this movie comes out, I think we'll be able to see such a dope fucking perspective from young Will Smith versus old Will Smith. Yeah. 25 years ago, he took my blood. He made you from me. You see how he held the gun in the trailer? He did that twist yeah. really quick. I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, and you know, just like, you know, Will Smith made that transition, you know, from TV to film so successfully, and people still go back and watch Fresh Prince. They swear by it, you know, it's, it's a very popular show. There's some sports news recently where Bobby Wagner, he negotiated his own deal with the Seahawks and he's now the highest, it's the highest linebacker contract in NFL history. Wow. So in doing so, you know, we started thinking about who are some of the best dual threats in TV and film. So Spencer, take three. The NFL needs to be fucking worried about this. And yeah. I think they are. The league or yeah. the agents or both? Agents, the NFL, everybody that thought at one point they had power over players needs to be worried about this because if you can, if you... Pay attention to it. There has not been a lot of articles. There's not been a lot of yeah. news press about this. Mm -hmm. This is the largest linebacker contract in NFL history. It's a three-year, $54 million contract, I believe. Like Holy 50, shit. Like he wears 54. He was probably like, yo, I want my contract number in millions. I mean, I want my jersey number in millions. <laughs> Look at, looking behind him like, see yeah, that? Like see that? I that. did it. I did it. But, you know, <laughs> I've, I've had a chance to train with uh, with, with B-Wags for a couple years, and you know, whenever I see him, it's not like we, we, I'm not saying I know him. I'm not saying anything like that, but he's a, he's worth every penny. Yeah. He's arguably year in and year out the best middle linebacker in the game outside of, it's always between him and Luke Keekley. But the fact is he was smart enough and savvy enough to negotiate his own contract, much like mm -hmm. Richard Sherman did with him. Uh, Russell Kuhn uh, negotiated his contract as mm -hmm. well. Yep. The players today are as smart as they've ever been in terms of contract negotiations with the NFL, with the NFLPA and beyond. The NFL right now, the agents, everybody needs to be worried because this can potentially set a precedent where athletes don't need agents anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. They don't. Right. I'm I'm yeah, big yeah, on that. Yeah. I'm big. Like part of my platform is just to try to build a smarter athlete at mm -hmm. a younger age. Mm -hmm. So when you're going into the draft, if you're listening out there and you're going to the draft, whatever, you literally don't need a you don't need an agent after round three because all those contracts are fucking the same. You're going to get the same amount even undrafted. Mm. Going undrafted is a great situation because now you can pick the team you want to go to. Mm -hmm. But those eight, yes, if you're a first round pick, get an agent because there's, there's so much fucking coming at you. There's so many deal flow and all that crazy shit. But if you're a mid to lower tier, learn the business as best as you can to the point where when you have to re-up for that next contract, you can do it yourself and say, fuck the agent on that 10 to 20 or whatever percent you're deciding to pay him. NFL should be scared. Everyone, Spencer was a linebacker in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell, I'm passionate. I'm passionate about this. I feel like Bobby Wagner's been on the Seahawks for 17 years. He's amazing, though. Yeah, he is. He's really good. He's and really good. This is a topic that I'm fascinated about. Just the idea of these guys negotiating their own contracts. Yeah. And then I mean, going out to ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we're here at Uninterrupted. We're surrounded by things that say I'm more than an athlete. And it's, to me, just, it really peels back the curtain of how things go on with the NFL. Because mm -hmm. my perception as a fan, and I'd love to hear your um, your experience around this, Spencer. I know it's a film podcast. I don't want to hijack it no, too much. No, fuck but, it. But the agent, in my <laughs> mind, they're, they're negotiating for that percentage of the contract, right? Yes. But my thought has always been the agent's always working for the client, right? You're trying to get them sponsorship deals and you're talking to the GM about the player's role and yeah. being a conduit and working for that person. So in your experience, how much of the agent's job is to negotiate those deals every couple of years 
versus to actually work for the client. And the follow-up there is, does does Bobby Wagner negotiating for his contract make the agent obsolete or does it just take that part of the agent's role off the table? To me, and and this goes by, you know, your place on the team, your 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 position in, in the draft. There's so many things that go into it. So for myself, it's being an undrafted guy, sort of a, a mid to low tier guy on the pot- on the totem pole on the NFL uh, in the NFL, like in hindsight, I don't think I needed an agent because At all. it's not like I would rather go the lawyer route. So mm-hmm. what a lot of players are doing now is they're hiring lawyers instead of agents because lawyers operate from uh, hourly wage. They they only bill you for the hours that they worked. Right. So if you don't have an agent, you can save that you know three to ten or whatever percent and only get billed for the billable hours that they've worked on the contract. And that's as simple as, hey, it's time to go back to contract negotiations. I have this lawyer that's going to broker this for me. He's going to do it to the best of his ability. Give me the contract I want or the contract we agree on. And once we're done, it's cut ties with them. I'm not paying you every quarter or every three games like they, like how my setup was, was paying, I believe every every three to four games throughout the season. But the fucked up thing about it was there are times where I didn't hear from my agents until it was the next time for them for me to pay them. They weren't working for you at all in the interim. And I don't know if they weren't if they weren't working for me, but I just know from like the first week of September making the team or whatever until week five when our first paycheck is going and I don't hear from you and all of a sudden you're like, hey, it's uh, time to pay you know your agent fee. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, what did you do in the last four weeks for me? Mm-hmm. Did you get a sponsorship? Did you mm-hmm. get me on TV or so forth? Did you try to build my brand in any way? Mm-hmm. Some agents, they don't do that. Other agents claim they do. So if you do go out and get an agent, put them to work mm-hmm. because if not, they're only negotiating a contract for you for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. And then they're just sitting back collecting that percentage off of you. Yeah. So when you talk about the agents, how nobody's really writing about this, right? Yeah. My conspiracy brain says, well, that's because the agents are in bed with the journalists because it's an information yeah, world, right? Exactly. Would you agree with that? I think the agents are in bed with the, the journalists, which are, you know, don't want to step on the toes of the NFL because people don't realize like, the NFL is fucking powerful. Mm-hmm. They are they are very powerful and they have influence. Like there there are TV shows that if depicted right, they will be fucking amazing, but studios will not touch it for fear of messing yeah. up a contract with a sports team or 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 a sports league. Like we all we always joke around about how that ESPN show Playmakers mm-hmm. ran for like one or two seasons and, and then the ESPN wanted to shop it to other networks. It was the whole first season was like a proof of concept. Yeah. And no network wanted to touch it for mm-hmm. fear of fucking up potential relationship with the NFL. Right. Yeah. It's powerful. So to have somebody, you know, buck the system and this is becoming a, a trend, you know, shout out to, you know, Bobby Wagner, Russell Lacoon, Richard Sherman, those mm-hmm. guys that are preaching this to you know, know your worth, mm-hmm. know how much you can get, educate yourself on this on this league mm-hmm. to the point where you don't need representation. You can go about it yourself. Mm-hmm. The league does not like that. Agents what, do not like. What, Technically, the league likes it because they're like, oh, we can get over on these we can players. get over on these guys. But if you are well read in this world as a as a NFL player mm-hmm. and you know your worth and you know what you can get. It's a nightmare for agents. For my question to both of you guys is for you guys launching your careers as writer producers, have you guys felt some of the same stuff too of like, you know, the way the NFL might look at the players as somewhat naive in the process? Do you guys feel yes. like people look at you guys as young producers and maybe we can get over on these guys and you have to take it upon yourselves to say, Hey, we gotta understand the deal side of this. I, oh, absolutely. I think yeah, I think there gets a point in this business where you just like you get sometimes you have to stop saying yes to things and mm-hmm. just like protect yourself mm-hmm. and sometimes that's not in your comfort zone mm-hmm. and um that's that's a learning curve and i think in this business as you the only way you really figure that out is just getting in those situations and eventually getting out of them mm-hmm. um but you know i i and think you you also need to be really smart with what you're tackling development wise because you know you know just like you were saying about the nfl i mean i've 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 brought projects up saying you know uh, football related or whatever it may be. And the first question they will ask is, is the NFL involved? And hmm. if they are, they're like, that's just so much fucking red tape. They say red tape. Like red and tape is the like, we're not going to do but this. It's the same, <laughs> but it's the same thing in knowing that like there is a level of respect, you know, and disrespect uh, mm-hmm. from every angle in this business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you kind of have to moderate that. You have to take, you have to kind of go n- numb to hearing no. 
and you know just keep pushing forward but i think spencer and i's mentality is you know especially the past year is just let's just fucking do it like on mm-hmm. our own let's just you know let's try to so let's try to take control of me it. Do you it. know what i mean yeah yeah <laughs> but just you know just being like you know we're in this position for a reason like why don't you know let's let's use that like he said like that platform to expand and grow relationships and sometimes you know that gets messy and we've had to just handle it ourselves mm-hmm. um, so, so you guys with all american season two you guys are the bobby wagner of the entertainment <laughs> business right we're that. trying to be at least <laughs> <laughs> i love that so, uh, well, go ahead getting back to um getting back to the hot take right yeah yeah, yeah. So, I, so that kind of begs the question of you know who is the best dual threat in the tv and film world this could hmm. be an actor that's probably play like maybe a twin of himself. I know like Tom Hardy did that in Bronson. Uh, no, not Bronson. It Shit. was in um what was it? Lead Legend? Uh, I think it was Legend, right? He played twin brothers. Yes. No. So, yeah. No, it wasn't Legend. <laughs> Shit. Have, I know it wasn't stay, Bronson. We don't have to stay on the Tom line, Hardy by played the Tom way, Hardy. like Bronson was a fucking dope film. Yes. But Legend. who is the best who's the best dual threat in T V in the T V and film world that has sort of played two roles or represented themselves or, you know, Hmm. Who would you say? See, when I read this question, I thought it was who's been in TV and film something like George Clooney. and mm-hmm. That's what I was Will thinking, Smith. too. I was just thinking somebody that has just wears more than one cap. Hmm. Eddie Murphy? That's the, That was like the first person I thought of because mm-hmm. obviously like Nutty Professor is... Yeah, Coming to America, coming an to underrated America. Like, yeah. multiple yeah. role Eddie Murphy movie. Like even to this day, I'm like, is, is like white guy, is that really Eddie Murphy <laughs> in there? Like I don't know. I mean, but. I would probably as of late, I mean, and... Another Marvel reference, but probably Chris Pratt. But right now, it's all about that football. Oh, okay. That was that transition is pretty incredible as yeah. to how it went about. Yeah. So it's like meteoric. He like, was the fat dude on television, right. and then three years later, he was the fucking like on people's like sexiest man list. Yeah, right. And he's the biggest action star in the world. So that's a pretty good dual threat. And Andy Andy Dwyer had some uh, football chops. Andy. I want you to meet Indianapolis Colts owner Jim Irsay. Andy, good to meet you, my friend. Thank you. I love your team, sir. I love them like they're my own children. I mean, that's that Colts fan. That holds true to your um, to your Harrison Ford likeness, because you know mm. he's Star Lord. He's in Jurassic World. He's about to do like a slew of fucking Disney animated movies. He, like, yeah, this this guy is ascending. My my choice. So you chose John. You chose Eddie Murphy. I'll take Eddie Murphy. I'd put Eddie Murphy and Mike Myers on that same tier of like, you just want to hire a guy to play every role in your movie. (laughs) Yeah. Those are your guys. Yeah. And you are Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. I would say I'm, I'll kind of, I'll kind of deviate a little bit from this and I'll say Childish Gambino. Okay. Mm. So, and again, my definition of a dual threat was somebody that just wears multiple hats and succeeds at it. So you're talking about Gambino kind of, he came in as a, as a writer. He's a triple threat. Rock. He's a triple, quadruple, whatever he's a, he's the fifth a threat. is. Like he's <laughs> just a simple threat. Threats. Like being a co- an actor slash comedian mm-hmm. slash fucking dope ass musical artist. Like mm-hmm. this is somebody that no matter what he does, it's getting to the point where you're gonna watch it whether it's good or not because mm-hmm. Gambino has rarely disappointed. Like there's right. he was recently on Jimmy Kimmel. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of promoing, uh, promoing Lion King came out in like a lion outfit, which was yeah. hilarious in his own right. Yeah, he was joking about it. And I noticed some of the hair from the costume is getting into your beard. N- no, I, this is this is just stress. It's uh, just stress. But he's walking out there as an actor, but then he's also like giving you the fucking comedic cadence of answering these questions and joking. Right. You're like, oh wait, he is a comedian as well and yeah. has fucking stand-ups underneath his belt. Mm-hmm. So he's so good that he makes you forget about right. like how he, how much he succeeded across all different planes. There was, a, mm-hmm. there was a recent debate on Twitter of who is better, Jamie Foxx or Childish Gambino? I was just thinking yeah. of Jamie Foxx because Comedians in Cars just came out with Jamie yeah. Foxx. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. killing Jamie it with Fox. the impressions. He's a comedian. He's got an you Oscar. forget that he's, like Oscar. A, he's an Oscar-winning actor. He might an amazing Grammy? singer. I think he does. Does he have a Grammy? I think because I think he does have a Grammy too. He, you might be right. We'll How close is he? I mean, shit, he's got an Oscar. Yeah, I know. I might, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then he, yeah, to be able to sing and to play Ray Charles. <laughs> yep, and act the way Ray Charles. Yeah, that's. Yeah, he's definitely who's Childish Gambino before Childish Gambino. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because I was like, you remember, you remember the the era of like Kaepernick versus Russell Wilson, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah. twice a year they're playing, and this is when both of those teams were fucking heavyweights. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you're just watching these dudes with their quarterbacks just duke it out, like sixty yard runs, and then fucking seventy yard passes. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it's like watching, you know, Jamie Foxx. Like, you don't know mm-hmm. whether whenever you're watching him, it's like 
you're about to either sing, right. be funny as fuck, or like make me cry from yeah. your acting. I, what's about to happen? Right. Like, that's I mean, the that, testament of a of a fucking dual threat. Right. I had that conversation with a friend recently of who could host SNL and perform on SNL. Right. Yeah. It's a short list. It's yeah. a very Jamie Foxx and Childish Gambino are on that list, yeah. right? Justin Timberlake. Justin on that Timberlake. List. Yeah. Drake, Drake is on that list. Yeah. Taylor Drake Swift in the Chris it. Brown video is pretty. Drake funny. is like good up there when chops. it comes to that. Yeah. Uh, Ariana Grande did it. Yep. Shit. Oh yeah, I mean we're only thinking actors, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, cool. on a football lens, speaking about Kaepernick and Russell Wilson, and everybody thought the game was going towards just like Saturday offense. Yeah, remember Cordell Stewart? Yeah, his yeah. nickname was yeah. Slash because yeah. he did so much stuff. Shouts to Cordell Stewart. Yeah, <laughs> hey, to hey, Cordell. I was before the, Michael Vick. It was Cordell. Stewart. I was the, the name I was the Steelers on NFL Blitz. Cordell <laughs> could just you run to bomb and you just roll out to the left because all those dipshits are on the right. So yeah. just take off. Well, you know those of you guys out there that are listening. Again, this is what we do. It's our hot takes is diving into everything. It comes to Hollywood preview and reviewing movies, but. You know, we want to hear what you guys have to say in terms of who do you guys think are your best dual threat characters or actors in Hollywood, as well mm-hmm. as what mm-hmm. are your thoughts on the whole de-aging technology? Are you excited for the Irishman trailer? The one you know? question I would love to hear for from our audience is, who are your favorite actor-directors? Because ah, now Bradley yeah, Cooper's in that category, right? Yeah. There's yeah. been some really great actor-directors, uh, Ben Affleck. That's a meaty discussion in itself. <laughs> so that's another dual threat to the, to the add to the conversation. Shoot those thoughts over to us at, the, at Film Study Pod. Mm-hmm. On, on social, on Instagram, on Twitter, at Film Study Pod. That's something that we would love to answer for you guys and love to just have the the daily banter. Like yeah. I'm on my phone all the time, so I'll definitely fucking answer any replies that we get. But That's Spencer's favorite thing is yeah, like to chop yeah, it up on quick. Twitter about, he's good. about these into, hypotheticals. Into my Very moments. personable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That, those Matilda tweets last night were making me laugh <laughs> about this is an absolute unit. The word unit when you... The word unit when used correctly is hilarious. Just like dipshit, which we just <laughs> yes. said, but like we, we really appreciate the use of a good list like, real quick, I'm gonna spend thirty seconds on, on this. Yeah. This is well, this is hot take asterisk. Bonus hot take. Fucking Miss Trunchbull had my daughter just mesmerized last night. That the demented, drooling, slime breath little Lilliputian who owns this disgusting ribbon. We'll never see the light of day again. It was 30 minutes before she was going to bed, and I sat her down, saw Matilda was halfway done. I was like, oh, we're watching this. Because mm-hmm. I will watch Matilda whenever it comes on. That's just like that nostalgic child. What was it on? I don't know. It was it was probably on like Freeform or something. Yeah. But my daughter watched and sat down. It's like Miss Trunchbull's like running through the house. It was a scene where um, uh, the teacher and Matilda are trying to like get shit out of the house, and yeah. they're like running from Miss Trunchbull. Who's in my house? Mm-hmm. My daughter's fucking mesmerized. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where Miss Trunchbull is just like charging at it. I'm like, this, charging. God, this and is then, a fucking DN right who's here. The, who's the NFL equivalent? It's like J.J. Watt? It's J.J. Watt. Just a <laughs> fucking <laughs> just a fucking. Doesn't brick. she like, at one point, and, and we'll get to it, but doesn't at one point she pick up a kid and just hum chuck him across the field? <laughs> she fucking shop puts her, or uh, yeah. is it like the swing, oh, whatever that is. Oh, she swings a girl around her pigtails and, and lets she her go. And she and like collects some flowers. It's like, I'm okay. I'm like, no, nah, this is child abuse. Like, go yeah. to jail, Miss yeah. Trunchbull. But. <laughs> Dark book, Matilda. Like, like I said, an absolute fucking unit. And. No, I agree. So that made me laugh. Yes. Speaking of, shout out, shout out to Matt. We're going to do a Matt uh, transition. Tra- Speaking of <laughs> an absolute oh, yeah. unit. <laughs> Speaking of an absolute unit. Uh, now it's time. You can for take us, the rest. <laughs> now it's time for us to dive into our movie review, which is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Miles. Put it there. That's your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. So, first off, overall thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So this was, this is Brad Pitt. This is Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, just kind of a, is it a buddy comedy? Buddy dramedy sort of? Honestly, Mm -hmm. we we can get into that. But yeah, it was a kind of a buddy love story. Mm -hmm. It was a love story. Yeah. So, okay, okay. Before before we start doing it, Let's go around the room. Dane, you're first. Yes. What were your overall thoughts of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? When you were talking about Gambino earlier, um, you said, oh, I'm gonna, whatever he does, I'm going to invest time to like listen to it, to see it, to do whatever. If Tarantino's making something, I'm going to go see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is his 10th film. Um, and like we were talking earlier, it, you know, it was, it was nice for a summer blockbuster to come out that wasn't all explosions and all you yes. know, guys in suits. But um, I... I love this film. I plan to go back. Um, 
I just love everything Tarantino does from the music to being from LA and just sitting in a Los Angeles story. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, I, I really appreciate like just those old stories about old Hollywood and stuff like that. I've always been interested in gone down rabbit holes and just kind of learning about what that was like. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie kind of brought that out for me and holy shit, Brad Pitt, is the fucking man. What was the character's name? Cliff. Cliff Booth. Cliff Booth. Yeah. What a legend. Cliff Booth and Leo played Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton. <laughs> and, you know, Rick's just for some context, Rick's kind of an aging TV star speaking of, you know, TV to film transitions. Yeah. And he's mm-hmm. trying to make this this transition. He's trying to figure a way into it. And it plays into so many of the insecurities of Hollywood with these yeah. actors and the, these creatives. And it's all aging. These it's aging. It's I know we talked about de-aging, but this is aging. hearing the hard truth as to why you have no value anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, look, no one gives a shit. Like you're always like, you're the villain in things. Now you're yeah. a one-off. They like, call him the heavy. The like heavy. the heavy is technically the, like the sixties term of villain. Back and he then, thinks he's right? hearing that and he loves it, you know, from Pacino's character in the beginning. And it kind of sets the arc for that movie of, you know, Leo rediscovering himself and all of these LA stories interweave to a certain point at the end of the f- a third act that I think is one of Tarantino's best. Well, I, I liken it to like that aging DN that's still productive, like a DeMarcus Ware or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or Terrell or, Suggs, uh, Terrell Suggs or, right. Cam, or Cameron Wake, where these guys are fucking all stars and, you know, perennial all stars will be in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, they're, they're you know, mid-30s, mid to late-30s in the NFL. That's that's kind of you're over the hill at that point. So they're reducing your number of snaps. Like situational pass Situational rusher. pass rushes, which yeah. is technically just like third and long yeah. or, or you right. know, second and long or, or third down. We need to get this sack or get them out of field goal range. Mm-hmm. But that's what it is. It's like at one point you were that guy, but now there's, you know, younger, you know, more vibrant actors out there that we're going to give them light but we kind of have to demonize you in the process. And yeah. that's what, you know, Leo kept playing the heavy in this mm-hmm. and just kept getting his ass whipped. And then Al Pacino comes in and is like, oh, I've seen this before. Right. I've seen this, this is an old Hollywood trick where, you know, you're the young buck and then down the road you become the heavy and then the young buck ends up beating you out and now you're overseas doing French or Italian, Italian Westerns. Italian Westerns. Which like he does. He goes Westerns. and like loves it, yeah. right. gets a life out of it too. But... I just thought it was such a it was such a fun story of an actor just fucking just going through the ringer the ringer and you know his sidekick his stunt double was like hey you're Rick fucking Dalton yep. don't you ever yeah. forget One of the like, best lines in the movie you you always need a hype man yeah every every guy needs a hype man especially with like think of those DBs where whenever somebody scores a touchdown or whenever somebody gets like an interception or a fumble recovery last year all the DBs would get together and take like the photos together yeah like that's what Rick I mean that's what uh, what's his name Cliff Booth uh, Cliff Booth that's what he was he was just walking around like yo you're the fucking shit don't forget it everybody yeah. out there get you a Cliff Booth get somebody <laughs> that hypes you up the way Cliff Honestly, hypes up Rick I mean <laughs> yeah that character and playing that stunt that stunt double I I was kind of waiting for their relationship to kind of fall apart and it never really did. That's but interesting. Just, but yeah, in a there good, was no point in, of conflict But in a good them. way. Right. You know, like they kind of reach a breaking point and, you know, Leo's like, I don't know if I can afford you at the end. And you kind of look at Brad Pitt's face and he's like, what do you do when, you you know, you separate with a buddy after, you know, a bunch of success and failures? You get piss ass drunk with yeah. him. Mm-hmm. And that's how they handled their <laughs> their breakup. And I thought that was, that was fun. But, um, yeah, you know, me, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just, and, and you know, this is a bigger aspect of it, but I mean, clearly if, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this, you've seen the film, I hope, but yes, it, plays, this is a spoiler it, plays in, it plays into these, the Manson murders, which were very famous, you know, you know, homicides in mm-hmm. 1969, mm-hmm. um, with actress Sharon Tate, who Margot, Margot Robbie plays. Um, and it's interesting because you learn so much about Charlie Manson's family background as well. Mm-hmm. And by family, I mean these fucking weird hippies. Um, at the spa, the Spate Ranch and yeah. all this stuff, Spawn Spawn Ranch, Spawn Ranch, uh, which was an old movie western uh, studio, and it it I loved seeing that, like going around L.A., going to deep parts of the valley. You know, Brad Pitt living behind a um, a drive-in movie theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I just loved seeing L.A. in that light, but also you know learning a little bit more about a story I didn't really know a lot about. Mm-hmm. Yes, and like a re like it's learning a reimagining. about a reimagining of a story that you already mm-hmm. sort of knew. And yeah, well, that and that's part of the way the movie was written. It was very right. 
you had to be in on the joke. Yeah. You had to know the the subtext and the, the historical context of the yeah. movie in order to understand the ways that Tarantino manipulated it. Similar to Inglorious Bastards, right? Yeah. yeah. You had to know yeah. the story of Hitler in order to appreciate yeah. Inglorious yeah. Bastards and the <laughs> ending and every and this like weird cartoony manipulation that he that he had with it. Yeah. And I think it was it's it's almost I think if you're kind of putting these Tarantino movies into categories, mm-hmm. those are kind of in a similar category yes. of like reimagined historical fiction, right? Yes. Yeah, and it wasn't it's, too, yeah. No, no, you got it. You got it, it. it wasn't too on the nose, like where I think everybody who goes into this and knows a little bit about it, they're like, I'm waiting for, you know, the murders. I'm waiting for, right. you know, not to sound insensitive or anything, but like yeah. they're waiting, they think that's going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. And Tarantino style and, too, you're waiting for gruesome murders. Yes. And I was waiting so I, I I was like, when is somebody about to get their head blown off? Because like, there was no violence for the first yeah. you know first, two hours, two hours for of the, the first film. two hours, yeah. And I mean, we can get into that, but that that build up to that third act mm-hmm. and it's it, almost like two different movies in that way because the first two acts, to your point, Spencer, is like a buddy movie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There's no conflict between them. They're just like it's kind of a hangout movie. Yeah. And yeah. that's something that I really came away with a feeling like just like this warmness to the movie mm-hmm. because it's DiCaprio. Just being prime, perfect DiCaprio. Yeah. He's smoking cigarettes. He's crying. He's <laughs> yelling at himself in the mirror. Like all the things you he's come to expect lost. from like yeah. Inception and The Beach and all of these like very dramatic yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio roles. And then Brad Pitt's basically a combination of like Ocean's Eleven Brad Pitt and Inglorious Bastards Brad 100%. Pitt. Heavy, yeah. Who's like this like larger than life figure, but also is like the coolest guy in the room. Yeah. And he gets to like, uh, he gets this like 10 minute daydream sequence where he's got his shirt off and then he's thinking about the time he kicked the shit out of Bruce Lee. That was my favorite part. That was amazing. Yeah, it was great. And so that actually felt so self-indulgent as a like a writer-director piece, but then you realize, well, that actually sets him up as like the biggest badass in the movie. Mm-hmm. So you're following around these like iconic Western figures mm-hmm. set in old Hollywood. Plus to your point, Dane, it's like, shot up the list of my favorite movie set in Los Angeles ever. Yeah. The way it glamorizes Los Angeles and I got a chance to see it at the Dome and mm-hmm. then when they showed that shot of the Dome people like erupted. Yeah. Like it's just so endearing towards Los Angeles that it's like this fun hangout movie. Then it's like six months later you're in the act, the third act of the movie and you're like alright the wheels are going to come off here. It has Leo's to, got a new point. haircut. He's got a, a a new wife and like all this like weird Manson stuff has to come to a head and then you know the this omniscient narrator starts talking about the movie like like a, a essentially like a crime reenactment. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, yeah. here we go. And it's it starts starting. to take off a new personality, right? Yeah. And you can just feel the the people kind of shifting in their chairs in the theater waiting for this like gruesome violence. And it comes in a way that you do not expect. It comes in a way that like you appreciate it, how mm-hmm. it comes. Cause it's, it's funny. Like mm-hmm. when, when the shit started to hit the fan, I started laughing my ass off. It wasn't even like a, like, a, Oh shit. Or like cringeworthy. I know, um, in Django, like when yeah. like the Mandingo warriors like getting fucking eaten alive by dogs, I'm like, I don't really want to see this right now. Yeah. But when he literally takes old girl and just starts banging her head, that to me was the, the worst violence, most violent Tarantino seen in any movie. The, I had a lot of trouble with that. Which one? In in Once Upon a Time oh, in Hollywood, yeah. when I picked into that girl, uh, Jesus. Like, oh my but god! I, I I mean, this it sounds, didn't affect this you the same funny, way, but. I thought that was one of the funniest moments in the entire movie. Maybe I'm fucked up. You might be. But that shit was so fucking funny to me. Because it was so over the top. It was, because it was so, exactly, it was so over the top. And when I'm walking into a Tarantino movie, I'm thinking I'm going to get blood, I'm going to get gore, but I'm going to get like some of the greatest banter of like this era. Which it had a lot of that too. It had a lot of that. A lot of my friends, they don't understand why I like Tarantino because a lot of them are like, you know, Shout out to the woke friends out there, but it's like, oh, he says he says the N-word too much, yes. or he doesn't have the right Which to say Which is a fair it. criticism. I'm He's a like, pretty it's, racist director. It's fair, ways. but like, you're not going to say you don't like Django. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, it's still a good fucking movie, but mm-hmm. I like it because, I like his whole catalog because the dialogue is so rich. So coming into it, mm-hmm. I was expecting that. I was expecting blood and gore. Mm-hmm. But halfway through the movie, I'm like, this just, it just feels different. It feels mm-hmm. like a, a different vibe. Not necessarily that, like that's not a bad thing to me. I'm like, damn, he's really, he's really giving us this sort of, this sort of buddy comedy sort of. It, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but when the shit started to hit the fan, that was the highlight of the whole movie. Outside of the the sequence with Brad Pitt like beating the shit out of Bruce Lee, yeah. Like if anybody beats or kills somebody in a fight, they go to jail. <laughs> it's called manslaughter. <laughs> Brad, Brad Pitt. Anytime he beats the shit out of someone in this film, it's mm-hmm. a highlight of the film. It's well, great. I felt like there were times where going back to how you said that he's like part Inglorious Bastards, uh, right? Part um, Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. There are times where I felt 
Inglorious Bastards heavy. Yeah, especially it, it, he slipped into that accent a little bit. It's like he slipped Talking into out it. The side somebody of his mouth was like, a bit, you know, yeah. somebody was like, "Hey, you know, you've already played that role. Like, pull it mm. back a little bit." But there are definitely a couple scenes where he's like, "Oh, I can just be this guy right. again," which I'm not mad of. It. It's one of my favorite characters no. of his, but he he gave us so much in it. I I in the tweet I said, "You came for Leo, but you stayed for Brad." Yeah. No question. Like. Yeah, he was th- the MVP of this movie. I think one of the best accomplishments of Tarantino's career in terms of casting is what he's able to have done with Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Because Brad Pitt was always like this movie star figure, like mm-hmm. this A-list leading man. But really, his skill set is more of like a character actor. Yeah. And Tarantino unlocked that in some of the best performances of Brad Pitt's career. Yeah. This movie gave me that like, like superstar vibe, though. Mm-hmm. Like Brad Pitt, like like I feel like Hollywood doesn't have a lot of that anymore. Like crazy leading men, you know, leading like leading the charge. Like they're, they're you know they're kind of sporadic with what they do. Mm-hmm. And they there was a big article in the I don't know if it was the L A Times or Hollywood Reporter, um, but it was about Leo being the last m- movie star. Mm-hmm. But I walked out of that film like Brad Pitt is stole a, the show is a movie star. He's, right. Brad Pitt is still Brad Pitt. Like yes. he, he looks like he looks you know. Speaking of de-aging, they didn't do shit to him. He looks great, you know? I mean, I'll give props for props are due. Yeah, he but looks like, like he's been hitting the gym two-a-days. But he's, I mean, yeah. he's, he's the last of that, you know, perennial actor. Yeah. Like, that's the, you know, Tom Hanks, he's getting up there. You know, George Clooney's getting up there. But mm-hmm. I would even lump George Clooney in with the Brad Pitts and the, mm-hmm. and the Leos. And the next one of that is, you know, you could look at a Ryan Gosling becoming that. Or mm-hmm. yeah. if, if Ryan Reynolds ever wants to, like, get hella serious, he mm-hmm. can probably even dive into that. How yeah. about, but, like, the, um, what did you guys think of the way he wrote Leonardo DiCaprio's character? Do you think that kind of struck a chord with Leo being on the wrong side of 40? Yeah, and I mean, yeah. you Having to look at his career kind of yeah. in his immortal way. I thought a lot about that. You can't, you can't be an actor today we're not talking about the once upon a time in hollywood era but like literally in today's world you can't be an actor and not feel some kind of way about not getting offered or at least considered for a marvel role Hmm. like a super that's that to me that's the that's the big award in hollywood now being attached to a character that you can play for 10 years and just get those excuse me get those checks Hmm. like every two years so the fact Hmm. that he's one of the very few people that doesn't need that Hmm. I think it didn't bother him as much, but once he was probably going through it, he's thinking like, maybe this will be me eventually one day. Maybe yeah. the young buck will come and take my spot. And mm. you know, he's gonna he's gonna do whatever he can to stay as young as he as he can look forever. But time is undefeated. And right. whether people know it or not, a lot of a lot of these scenes, um, some you know people didn't really understand. Like my dad was like, well, I don't know why we needed that, or you know, on a few things. And a lot of it was very situational Hollywood. It was very like those uncomfortable moments you go through where, mm-hmm. you know, you're vouching for someone, uh, you're like the, that child actor just basically like warped, you know, at like <laughs> yeah. eight years old, she was incredible. Like, trying yeah. to stay method. And you like, you know, you get these toxic parents and these like, you know, these young kids and Leo just kind of finding himself drinking on set. Like all of these things were just, were so interesting to me to see and observe, um, just kind of being in the space, even at a limited capacity, but knowing right. that, you know, there, there are those insecurities, there are those situations that happen and who better to tell it than Tarantino and Leo. Yes. Yeah. And like, no question. I thought that was what was so great. And you know, they actually, we were, you're talking about the money, like Leo and Brad only took 10 million flat for this movie. Yeah. And that's only, a big pay. No. Only, only, only. Yeah. That's equivalent of Tom Brady being like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> I made 300 million. My wife's made 500 million. Yeah. So I can take, 15, but that's the okay. reality of their star <laughs> power. Right. And so, you know, they're like, well, this will be great. And this will, you know, this will do well. So, right. you know, but if anything, Yes, again, as an LA native, like I, I loved seeing the visuals. It was shot beautifully as Tarantino's films Real are. Real quick, what do you guys, you guys both grew up in LA. Yes. What are your favorite movies set in Los Angeles? Just off the top of your head, what comes to mind when I say that? I mean, because Pulp Fiction is another great LA yes. movie, Tarantino, yeah. right? Yes, yeah. Favorite movie, ooh. That's, that's a lot. Boys in the Hood, tough. I mean, there's a lot. I really so love sides LA. Thing. Probably LA Confidential. How's it gonna look in your report? It'll look like justice. That's what the man got. Justice. There, really confidential uh, is a good there, one. There, there are two movies I, I immediately thought of, and I'm not necessarily sure if they are my favorite. It's just mm-hmm. that I resonate with them. So I grew up two blocks away from where they filmed Boys in the Hood, mm-hmm. the main street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we got a problem here? Can we have one night where there ain't no fight, nobody gets shot? That was just a neighborhood street, and seeing that on film is like, oh, fuck. Like, this is a movie that is in and of my culture, of my neighborhood, and is showing the depiction of the real life. Like, mm-hmm. that shit was happening. Like, I've seen dead bodies. I've seen drive-by shootings. Like, I've, the house that I grew up next to, like, has been shot up before. Like, 
I lived that life. So yeah. the fact that a movie set is two blocks away depicting that, that's in the rafters for me. Another one is mm -hmm. love and basketball. I'll play you one game, one on one. For what? Your heart. All's fair in love and basketball. So the house that uh, Quincy and um, I forget Sanaa Lathan's name in it, uh, uh, Maya? Mariah, Maya? I'm fucking up. This is one of my favorite movies. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Sanaa, don't fucking kill me. <laughs> but the house that they grew up in in that movie is right around the corner from where I, grew, from where I live now. Yeah. And the basketball court is still there in the front. And the door is like still, I think the door is red. And it's just like you pass by that house and you're like, Damn, that that's fucking black youth growing up in View Park in the eighties. Like every time I see those two houses together, I'm like, that's one of my favorite movies. And ever. that's what we always, mm -hmm. you know, even with All American when we were figuring that out, there's that juxtaposition of communities in Los Monica Angeles. Is yeah. Monica. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yep. But those uh, you know, the communities that sit side by side that are so different. And Spencer and right. I only grew up, you know, a half hour away, but you mm -hmm. know, like you think of like a dog town in Z Boys, like that was taking on at the same time as like what was going on in the inner city. Mm -hmm. Right. And LA is so vast with like it's mm -hmm. it's you know groups and um, these subcultures that you could tell stories there for days. Mm -hmm. um, I like the old gangster ones. I, I liked LA Confidential. LA Confidential is a good one. I yeah. always think about Boogie Nights as an underrated ah, movie. Ah shit! I'm a fucking idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson was so in love with the Valley that he yeah. like the way that Tarantino celebrated Hollywood and the Hills. Yeah. That was like Paul Thomas Anderson's homage to the Valley. Right. Yeah. And the, I think that's to your point. It's yeah. like all these different LA's all is means to set a movie in LA means so many different things. So right? many things. Yeah. Well, what are some of, what are some of the highlights and or nitpicks of once upon a time? In Hollywood well, that's, that you have? that's interesting. Cause the one other question I have for you guys is a nitpick for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And that was Margot Robbie's role in this movie, which is yeah. something we haven't really talked a lot about. Yeah. What did you guys think of the Sharon Tate character in this movie and Margot Robbie's performance? Well, I actually thought we were going to get more of her. Yeah. Uh, we were going to get more backstory potentially and have her interact with, she, like barely, she, she barely spoke. She, they, she was probably on set for four days and <laughs> right. she has like top billing in this. And that's, yeah. that's always something that I find surprising now in this industry is, you know, Samuel L. Jackson is Samuel L. Jackson is in, in Marvel mm -hmm. and you think he's in the entire movie and he's only in two scenes and you're like, Oh shit, this dude literally went to Atlanta for two days, did the shoot and is now on to his next movie. Right. But mentally you think he's there even when he's not on the film, like you're not seeing him yeah. in camera. You still think that, you know, he is who he is in the film. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to see a little bit more from her side instead mm -hmm. of her having these kind of like this like one-off missions by herself, especially right. at Westwood. Yeah. Shout out to Fox Theater. Yeah. But it was it was just interesting because I don't know that much about Sharon Tate. I, obviously, I looked up her story since then. Right. But I would have liked to see her just in chance happenings like find her way to communicate with like Leo and Brad, mm -hmm. you know, somehow some way with yeah some story. of her best scenes were in a dark theater watching herself on exactly. screen right and which exactly. were, i thought those were cool scenes but to your point she didn't really interact with anyone yeah i mean and and you know it's 2019 so a lot of the complaints were like margot robbie didn't get enough screen time <laughs> and stuff like mm -hmm. what the fuck i thought she serviced the story fine mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. like i didn't go oh i needed more margot robbie like this was like not to take away anything she did but mm -hmm. this was brad and leo's movie and she serviced that story you know, with what she did. She and, was like and a set piece. Almost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were, this mm -hmm. was a, you know, this was Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth story. And I was right. fine with that. Um, you know, and I kind of liked that they, they kept it a little vague with her background, you know, cause you, you learn a lot about her. You kind of know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And like we said earlier, it just doesn't. So I think it left the audience with, you know, kind of wondering more about the story. Yeah. But you know, I, I didn't feel like I was missing out on like what I needed to know about Sharon Tate. I knew she was a famous mm -hmm. actress. And to be honest, she didn't do much at that time. Yeah. But Marion Polanski was a big deal. And, you know, and he, he's his own story, you know, but yeah, like, that's fucking good. Yeah, and, and that's what I thought, you know, <laughs> but, and, but to answer your question, it's like, mm -hmm. I thought she serviced the story fine. Yeah. I mean, structurally, Tarantino was very intentional about how he created these disparate stories. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're just waiting for them to converge, right? That anxiety like we talked so about, well. when yeah. is this going to come together? 
in terms of how Margot Robbie played that role, I thought she was incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really unlocked something for me as a viewer uh, thinking about Margot Robbie's best roles. She's never played that like sweetheart California girl next door. Mm-hmm. And she was so endearing as that. Yeah. I mean, she was great in I, Tanya. Um, you can say whatever you want about Suicide Squad. I thought she was terrific in Wolf of Wall Street, but she played that like East Coast, Long Island, angry yeah. f- female figure as opposed to like this like sweet uh, yeah. ray of sunshine that she played in. And I want to see her in more of those roles because I found her so likable in this movie. Yeah, she, I think she's a great actress. One, she, of, one no of the question. nitpicks for me, and, and this is where I had to kind of set my expectations down a little bit because you know it being centered around the manson murders it it, you know it being in hollywood and you know the whole time they kept they kept showing uh you know manson in the trailer so i'm thinking that we were going to get a little bit more Mm -hmm. of the manson storyline yeah but i like the fact that they didn't really show him because there's there's a lot going on right now in hollywood of you know the the What's the word? The hum, like humifying, I guess, uh, of like Nazis and serial killers. Like we're turning serial right. killers and Nazis into this like this fantasy world. It's like no, this is real. They really did fucked right. up shit. Yeah, like what's so going on no with like need, Ted Bundy? And yeah, there's no need to like romanticize that. Romanticize. So the fact yeah, that they, I agree. The fact that they they had him in there for a brief moment and mm-hmm. then they sort of just referenced him throughout the rest of the movie and allowed right. the story to just continue to drive without. He was kind of this like. He wasn't even a threat in the movie. No. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Well, you're on he had under a minute there. of screen time. Yeah. Right. And you're on Spawn Ranch. Yeah. And you're waiting for him like as this like, scary figure who's going to come and like have a showdown with Cliff that never really happens. That yeah. was almost like kind of a non sequitur ultimately for the story. But kind of that looming danger, again, was like kind of referential for the audience. Yeah. And it's I think it's interesting for you to point out that like there's this idea that people are constantly f- – uh, romanticizing serial killers yeah. and for Quentin Tarantino to make this movie and have it intentionally come out 50 years after the murders mm-hmm. it's almost like there's a line there mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to cross it but he's almost dancing on it right yeah, yeah. and saying here is here is what uh, the, here are all the ways that I can be sensitive around this yeah. and then ultimately just flip it and say actually this is a cheeky Tarantino movie after all well I mean and real quick I'm kind of throwing a nod to uh, Taika uh, Waititi. Waititi because he just released his trailer for Jojo, Jojo Rabbit, Rabbit so hyped he's, for that he's playing Hitler yeah and mm. he's pretty much playing like the like an like an idiot version of Hitler as kind of a a big fuck you to yeah. that whole regime. Right. So it's people were mad that they were like, well, why is a, a New Zealander playing Hitler? Yeah. And he responds, fuck that dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, like, right. he's like that's, the, that's the point. It's, mm-hmm. it's a big fuck you that not only am I going to write this movie and direct it, but I'm actually going to play it because I know he's turning over in his grave or in Brazil because I'm a, there's theories that he's like died in Brazil or whatever. Oh yeah. But it's, it's dope. I don't. I don't know how to. I don't. Know, I don't know how to explain it. But like, <laughs> your head just got really big. Yeah. It's the fact that you can you can look at moments back in history and say, let's have some fun with this. Yeah. yeah. It's a serious topic. Like the Manson Like it's you know they killed like what four or five people and a baby and smeared their blood all over yeah, the wall. It was not right. And okay. you're able to take that terrible story and interject like, what would happen if? that loud ass car coming up a hill, somebody was awake at that moment and say, hey, shut your fucking card off. Like, like, take that car down the hill. And now the murder that was supposed to happen, the iconic murder has now kind of been turned into, well, fuck these guys are telling us to to turn our car off. We want to kill them now. And then they end up getting killed. And now Shantae lives and history it's a completely different course. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, it's like there's Forrest Gump <laughs> and then there's a couple Tarantino movies. Nobody else has really figured out how yeah. to reimagine history quite like that. Yeah. And yeah. maybe they haven't, it's just not on my radar. Yeah. But that's a really, it's a really fine line to walk and it's, I think you either do it really well or it falls completely apart. It's, there's really <laughs> yeah. no in between. And, and you know, some people were not happy with the ending. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, that was abrupt. I didn't really see that coming. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. the movie's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And that, that title plays true. There are articles about, you know, fact or fiction, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm like, yeah. no, 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 no. It's all fiction. They're, don't read this article. Well, some of the, like, the El Coyote <laughs> stuff and the timeline and what they were wearing, what was on the radio, yeah. that, some of that stuff was like, Tarantino was like, I'm going to get this as close to yeah. real as possible and then com- take reality and ball it up and throw it in the trash exactly. yeah. and just completely yeah. uh, take it in a wild new direction. The other thing that stood out to me about this movie is, 
I came away thinking, wow, all the heroes of this movie survived. How atypical. But then mm-hmm. I went back through all Tarantino's movies. That's kind of a calling card. Yeah. Tarantino creates these mythic yeah. heroes, yeah. and the heroes always win in the end. Yeah, from Inglorious Bastards to Pulp Fiction to I mean, Django, he wins. Django, I mean, yep, it, that's the other big one. Yeah, even Jackie Brown, like mm-hmm. you know, it, Reservoir Dogs. You could look at as kind of there's a little subjectivity there. Kill Bill, yeah, mm-hmm. but that's a kind of a calling card of Tarantino movies. And you're thinking like, wow, this is really like resolved and happy for a Tarantino movie. But that's kind of the stamp that he puts on these movies. Is I'm going to create these amazing badass characters, and they're going to kill everyone, and, and then march off the in the sunset. And he makes them earn it. Yeah, yeah, he yep. makes them. Earn Makes him earn it, and that was the same case for this. So, what is the what's the future of Tarantino? Is this his this is his tenth film or his ninth film? Ninth film. This is his ninth. He said he's going to make ten movies. He said he said ten, and I heard some buzz that he was going to make a Star Trek movie. Have you guys heard this? I think Dane talked about that initially. Of he wants to do a. He's writing. He wrote like an R-rated Star Trek film, and. Look, they keep saying it's in development, and, they, and I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, there hasn't been an just announcement for it. Just make it, guys. It. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just make it. Is, is he going to um, be like Brett Favre, just like retiring and, and trying to come back every four years? <laughs> you know what, though? I, it's I, so hard to imagine him walking away, isn't it? So this he was, so this was his life. ninth. So this was his ninth film. Yeah. Oh, film. that's my bad. I said ten earlier. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like yeah, he'll probably end with ten, but this this was different to me in like stuff he's done, and mm-hmm. I I know. He's an LA kid and he's told a lot of great LA stories. I mean, mm-hmm. even you asking that question earlier, I'm thinking of Reservoir Dogs, I'm thinking of Pulp Fiction, I'm thinking of all these things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could tell he had a really good time making this film. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. No, it's, the, he was in love with the this music alone, like just the, the settings and everything were, were fantastic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I don't know what he's going to do next. I, I, I you kind of wonder if he's, if they're going to try to lure him to like do like, a comic book movie or a graphic novel or like whatever it may be. But I feel like this dude can kind of pick and choose as to what he wants. It's to just tell. so hard well, to imagine somebody hanging it up. Shoot or shoot. Shoot or yeah. shoot. And shoot. storytellers tell, tell stories. No yeah. question. You can't turn off that muscle no matter how hard you try. Right. Even in my limited experience in this industry, whenever I see something cool on TV or, or read an article, I, my brain immediately goes to, is this a scripted show? Is this an unscripted show? Like how can, what's the drama here? What's the turning point? Who's the mm-hmm. villain? Who's the hero? Like who's the heavy, you know, going back, throwing right. a knot. But you can't turn off that muscle. And the mm-hmm. fact that he's done it at such a high level, I don't think he's gonna step away after his 10th film. Maybe he will do advising. Maybe he would. Step into like know, an EP role, the way EP Steve Spielberg roles, but like, has. Again, you you just you can't turn off that muscle. And right. I would miss I would miss him. Yeah, in, like in his movies. No not question. Him, I don't know him, but like, you know, and, and those little things he does in films, like, and, and not to go back, but what do you remember when uh, in the movie when they're sitting and they're drinking together, Leo and Brad, and they're watching um, the, an episode that Leo just did, and yeah. they're, they're commenting over FBI. it, and it's just so a good. shot of the frame. We've all been there, <laughs> but it's like Brad talking about Leo on camera. He's like, smooth yeah. fucking jump. Yeah, oh yeah. damn! Like, oh, you killed that guy real good. Like, I was dying. And the that guy was walks Tarant- up and he's like, and he's like, that guy's a prick. Yeah, like, oh fuck that, that dude. Like, it was such like Tarantino humor, but like just yeah. so funny. And and it was little things like that mm-hmm. that were the highlights of this film to me. And I took away that I would miss if he decided not to make any more films. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this basically a lot of this movie was his commentary on Hollywood. Yeah, and that was yeah, the most fun yeah, part about yeah. it. Is you're getting Tarantino's view of not only old Hollywood but just these conventions in Hollywood yeah. that endure throughout this like and, fifty years. And stretch. you wonder, and that's what I meant, like by the situational stuff earlier is like you wonder like what situations did he live in some kind of way right like what did he go through where he was like oh this is i'm, I'm gonna save this like i think of people like him and i think of people like gambino and their notes section on their phone or wherever the fuck it's they keep notes insane. is probably you know yeah nuts like will will's uh will ferrell uh recently said that if he has an idea he has to get it out yeah because that one idea can potentially be a fucking dope piece of content that mm-hmm. if he lets that moment pass or that idea kind of fade into his memory, he, he will kick himself. He said he's had moments where he couldn't write it down or he couldn't record it, but it sat with him to the point where like he kind of forgot about it and he would come back and be like, the moments, the moments pass. I can't really yeah. do that bit anymore. Like mm-hmm. um, in comedians and cars getting coffee, they talk about him and Seth Rogen or, um, um, Jerry Seinfeld and Seth Rogen talk about the moment where Prince was up for an award and Prince wasn't there and they thought he was there and Will Ferrell had the idea to get up and accept the award <laughs> as Prince, like not oh, breaking yes. character, uh, yep. but he didn't do it. So at the, end of, at the end of the episode, they find that clip 
of them saying, who won the war? Prince, the artist from known as Prince. And they pan to Will, to Will Ferrell, and you can see in his eyes, he's thinking of something, and it's yeah. like, oh, fuck. He, they were just talking about the moment he thought about walking up there as Prince and accepting the award as Prince. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. That shit would have been hilarious, but he said that's one of his biggest regrets. It's like he never, he didn't do it. That would have been funny. So just to put a bow in the Tarantino really conversation, yes, if yes. I made you guys bet, let's say you bet a month's rent or a week's pay or whatever, will Tarantino do more than 10 movies? Yes. Does he have more than one more movie left? Would you bet yes or no? As a director? Yes. As a writer-director? As a director, yes. Yes. I agree. As a, as a writer, undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. As a director, Yes. Yes, I agree. I'd, I'd, you'd be hard pressed to find a movie fan out there who thinks that Tarantino is going to hang up directing, writing, no. and directing after this and, next movie. And, and if anything, it made me go back to some of his movies. I've watched Django and I've watched yeah. Pulp Fiction since mm-hmm. since that, and I'm just like, this is a fucking blast. Like mm-hmm. in 20 years, he'll do a he'll do a Trump election movie. Yeah, and it will be hilarious. Yeah, reimagine Bernie Sanders kicking the shit yeah. out of Trump or something like <laughs> I that. I mean, like Bernie <laughs> Bernie Sanders will be like a teenager in the movie because it's a reimagining. Why no, not? because he's getting de-aged. <laughs> <laughs> Once, once upon a time in Trump. <laughs> once upon a time in yeah, DC. But you know, as usual, uh, like and subscribe this this podcast. You know, yeah. follow us on social, Film Study Pod on Twitter. Just talk to us, see what see what we're watching. We want to see what you guys are watching. Again, Film Study Pod. Dane, where can they find you? At Dane Mork, and where can they find you? I'm at Pacinger P Y S N G R. John, throw it up. At John Fontanelli, F O N T A N. And thank you, John, for joining us today. That was fun. So like Thanks for having me, guys. Like and subscribe, (laughs) comment five stars. Really pump this up. We want to make this podcast really big and just talk sports and talk TV and film. And I had a great time with you guys. Thank you guys for being here and and fucking with us. I'm going to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again. I think we have to watch it again. Let's run it back. Let's go right now. (laughs) All right, guys. Till next time. I'm the son of a loving man. My daddy told me, get you all the loving you can. I'm the sun, son, I'm the sun, son, I'm the sun, son, son of a...